Again, brothers and sisters, good morning. Good morning. We continue our service now in hearing from God's word proclaimed. Please, if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 11 and 12. You can find Proverbs near the center of your Bible, right after the book of Psalms. We continue our sermon series, Restoring Repentance, this morning, now in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12, God's love disciplines. Before we read of God's word, though, would you please join with me in praying once more for the hearing and proclaiming of, of God's word. And I'd encourage you to, to make this prayer your own. Join with me in, in what I pray, and, and if you agree at the end, by saying amen with me. Let's pray. Father, it is with confidence that we come to you and ask in your love to bless us this morning. Lord, that your blessing comes in, in being near your word. Lord, like a, a tree planted by streams of water, we long for our souls to be fed the pure water of your word. So, Lord, this morning, water us. Lord, fulfill our thirst. Lord, we pray that, that as we think of your love, your love that disciplines, Lord, that we would give you great praise. And Lord, that we pray that we together would be marked by that love. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what would you think of a coach who instructs his players but never drills them? What would you think of a doctor who talks about health but ignores cancer? Or maybe a math teacher who explains arithmetic but never corrects his students' mistakes? Well, you'd, you'd probably say that that they're doing half their job. We'd have incomplete athletes, incomplete patients, incomplete students. All the, the playbooks, the exercise tips, and sample math problems are not enough. Part of, of learning and growing is being corrected. And that is no less true for disciples of Christ. For you and I, as we learn and grow... To, to be like Christ. Do you know that the word disciple means learner or, or pupil? Just as much as when we learn math, we need our Lord to get out the red pen in our lives and correct us, to correct what we believe and how we live, to, to deal with our sin with correction. And as Unpleasant as that might be, God disciplines us for our good in love so that we might grow to be more and more like him. As we continue in this sermon series to build a biblical framework for why and how the church is to deal with sin in the body, we come now to, to God's love. The church is to deal with sin because God is love and in love he disciplines us. For our good. That's the main point of our sermon text this morning in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Our main idea God in love trains and corrects his children for their good. God in love trains and corrects his children for their good. Far better than the best coach 
doctor or teacher, our God trains, corrects, and disciplines us perfectly in love that we might grow to share in His holiness. God in love trains and corrects His children for their good. Let's read of God's loving discipline in these two verses. Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The word of the Lord. Well, again, we're dropping in into the middle of a book right into the middle of Proverbs. So, so we need some context as we begin. What is this book of Proverbs? What is the author saying here? So, so the book of Proverbs is, is unique in your Bible. It's not history. It's not prophecy. It's the collected wisdom of the wisest king of, of Israel, Solomon, along with a, a few other uh, writers. The book's goal is to instill wisdom in God's people. Wisdom founded in the fear of the Lord. The, the book begins in, in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, and on and on. You might think of Proverbs as those pithy statements. Every culture has Proverbs. But those don't begin in, in the book of Proverbs until chapter 10. At the start of the book and in the chapter that we're in, they're the instructions of, of a father, of Solomon, to his, his son on the importance of wisdom and warnings against sin. And chapter 3 is about how that wisdom is lived out. In the first verses of our chapter, he talks about remembering instructing to trust the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. To honor God with wealth and, and at the climax in our two verses to submit to God's discipline. Well, with that context in mind this morning, we're going to consider our two verses in three points. Three points this morning. First, God's love disciplines. God's love disciplines. Second, three ways we can despise God's discipline. And third, three ways we should imitate God's love. God's love disciplines. Three ways we can despise God's discipline. And finally, three ways we should imitate God's love. First, God's love disciplines. Look back at verse 11 with me. Solomon is writing to his son. He says, my son. This is more than just the words of a father to his son, but, but we should say it's, it's not less. I'll draw this more out later in our sermon, but, but to the fathers among us this morning, listen to learn what it means to be a father. How fathers love and instruct their children. But like I said, this is more than just the words of a father to a son. This is, this is Holy Scripture. The words of our Heavenly Father to all of His adopted children, sons and daughters this morning. So these words are, are God-breathed, not just for Solomon's son, but inspired by the Spirit to be words for all of God's children. Wisdom for, for all people for all time. So Christian, this morning God addresses you as son, as, as daughter. We've all had earthly parents, good or bad. But the one who speaks to you this morning, the one who instructs you is the perfect father. 
the first person of the Trinity and teaches us in his word to call him Father. This is first and foremost because it reveals how he is related to the, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. They are not biologically related as we are, but, but they have eternally related in ways that are analogous to a father and son. And what that means for us, Christian, if, if you are in Christ, the Son of God, he is now your brother. And his father is now your father. One of the highest privileges of the gospel is this adoption. It's being a part of God's family. The Apostle Paul in, in Romans 8 describes our adoption this way. He speaks to Christians saying, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Fellow heirs with Christ, he says. And heirs of what? Heirs of God. To be glorified with Christ because we have been adopted. My son, my daughter, God in his word speaks to you this way today. So if by faith and repentance you have been reborn from above, you've been adopted into the family of, of your heavenly father. And, and God now treats you as, as son and daughter. So whatever else follows this morning as we study God's word, this is a reminder that God relates to you as, as father. He provides for your needs. He cares for you and, and loves you. He protects you as father. And this is not because you earned it or because he expects you to repay him. This is all because of his grace and love in Christ. And the truth is that, that though he has created us all, he is, he is only father to those who will repent of their sins and, and trust in Christ's death. The, the good news of Christ is, is not just that he, he earned your forgiveness by, by dying for you, dying on the cross of suffering what your sins deserve, but even more, the good news is that you are now adopted into his family, restored into perfect relationship with God the Father. To know him now as, as heavenly father. Well, if, if we, by repentance and faith, are adopted into Christ's family, what does Solomon go on to tell us? If we know God as father through Christ, how does this heavenly father treat us? Well, again, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Our Father disciplines us. He reproves us. In Solomon's command, the word of God's command to us this morning is, is for us not to despise or grow weary of his discipline. Verse 12 will give us the reason why we need not despise or grow weary of his discipline. But we'll, we'll get there in a minute. First, what is discipline? What is reproof? Well, discipline is, is simply a word that means correction or training, even reprimand. The word reproof is, is roughly synonymous, but it might be even stronger, meaning rebuke. Often we think of discipline in the context of parenting as, as punishment. But it's, it's much more than that. 
Discipline is any training or correction. So when, when the coach that we thought of earlier explains the playbook, he is doing discipline. But that's only half of his job. He also has to drill his players on those plays. Even this sermon is a form of discipline. It is instructing. It, it is teaching. We might call this, this kind of discipline as formative discipline. And the discipline that involves rebuke or correction, uh, corrective discipline. Discipline is, is anything God uses to help us grow in holiness. From, from sermons to suffering. From reading the Bible to rebuke. They are all a part of God's discipline, His correction. God in love trains and corrects His children for their good. But in particular, it's that second half of discipline, the, the corrective that, that we can often despise, that we can hold in low opinion. We don't like to be corrected. So that's why here in verse 11, God speaks to us not to despise his discipline, not to grow weary of his reproof. I, I think it's typical of us to accuse those that, that discipline us as being unloving, maybe vindictive. But look with me at verse 12. Why is it that we should endure under discipline? Verse 12, 4, or, or because... The Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. The reason Proverbs three verse chapter three verse twelve gives us to be subject to the Lord's discipline is because he loves us as a son in whom he delights. God disciplines those whom he loves. Discipline is not a sign of his disapproval, but of his his love. Church, we live in a world that is confused about love. And it's been that way ever since the garden when Satan suggested to Eve that, that she doubt God's love for her. And we've been defining love our way ever since. You know, love seems to be one of those things that, that's hard to define. It's, it's intuitive. We know what love is when we feel it. And in our day, it means tolerance and in romance, love, we think, doesn't draw any boundaries. Well, as a Christian, how, how would you describe love? How would you define it? Well, I think the best a Christian can do is quote 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16. What is love? God is love. God is love. No, it doesn't say love is God. There's a big difference. There is not some definition of love floating out there in the universe that God can conform to, and therefore, for God is love. No, no, our definition of love comes from God. The true definition of love is God. Love is who He is and everything that He does. You know, the Bible never says that God is anger. For God is wrath. He does express just anger and holy wrath. But God is love. If you're joining us this morning and you're not a Christian, I, I wonder if you've found 
a love that is truly satisfying. The, the Bible teaches us that we are made for love because we were made for God, who is love. But, but God's love is the only love that is truly satisfying. All other loves are poor imitations. And, and we should all know this morning that God invites us to this love. If you have questions about how you can experience that love, I'd encourage you to talk to, to someone who, who brought you this day or, or someone who's sitting around you. God loves all his creatures by inviting them to repent of their sins and believe in him. But the fact that, that God is love also means that, that our definition of love, how we define love, must include discipline. Because God, who, who is love, disciplines. That what, that's what Proverbs chapter 3 is teaching us. Solomon uses a, an appropriate illustration here in verse 12. God disciplines as, as a father. As a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. We, we all get this, right? How unloving would it be for a father to, to not correct his, his child trying to, to stick a fork in an electric socket? There are, of course, abuses of discipline. To discipline as retaliation or for petty preferences. But the illustration stands. To love requires discipline. To ignore discipline is to ignore what is loving. Jesus himself teaches this. In his letter to the church in Laodicea in the third chapter of Revelation, he, he says the same, that he loves by discipline. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, Those whom I love, I repre reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus loves by reprove and discipline. Church, there's so much more we could say about God's love. It literally covers everything that He is and does. He, he is love. But the sad reality is that we are prone to doubt. Our sin is insanity. So we, we in our sin question his love. We, we doubt that he is loving us, even though it's literally who he is. So this morning we have to heed Solomon's warning not to despise his love in the form of discipline. So our second point this morning, three ways that we are prone to despise God's discipline. Three ways that we can despise God's discipline. We read Hebrews 12 earlier in our service that, that quotes Proverbs 3. And there it explains why, why discipline is hard. In verse 11 it said, that For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Of course, we might despise what seems painful. So if we're going to heed the wisdom of Proverbs this morning... Heed the wisdom of God's word. We need to consider how we are prone to despise this painful discipline and be on guard against it. So the first way that we can despise God's discipline, brothers and sisters, is we consider it to be cruel. We consider it to be cruel. In other words, we interpret his discipline as unloving. Or to say it a different way, we look at his discipline through our definition of love, not the Bible's. I think one of the greatest illustrations of this comes to us in Jesus' life and ministry in, in John chapter 9. In that chapter, the disciples see a man born blind. 
And their immediate question was, whose fault was it? John chapter 9 verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, they're interpreting this man's hardship as retribution from God. They assumed that his suffering was the direct result of sin, either, either his or his parents. And they just want to know whose. Whose was it? But Jesus rejects that notion. Yes, of course, that man was a sinner. All men are. Yes, his parents were sinners. But his blindness is not tied directly to one sin in particular. Hear Jesus' answer in John 9, verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. No, the the reason that this man was born blind was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus goes on in that story to, to heal the man. And you know how it ends? Well, that man, born blind, professes faith in Jesus and worships him. And a whole community comes to see God's work displayed in him. Exactly what Jesus taught. So do you see, brothers and sisters, God used a lifetime of hardship. A man blind from birth to bring about great good for this man. He came to to know and believe and worship Jesus as a son of God because of his blindness. He received eternal life in the forgiveness of sins. So this this man's affliction, clearly from God, he was born this way, should be considered as loving, not cruel. It brought to him the greatest good he could ever know. Or another example that, that Paul pointed out to me this week. Just read the entire book of Job. It's very clear that none of his afflictions were the direct result of his sin. Yes, he is a sinner. But he is not experiencing these hardships because of a particular sin. But God is using his suffering to teach the righteous Job about God's own power and goodness. God uses our afflictions for our good in love as discipline. So, Stafford Baptist. What hardships are you experiencing? Some of us live with chronic pain. Or have had very difficult days in our lives. Or are currently experiencing loss or or great stress. I call you to look at the man in John 9. See in his example that God uses even affliction as instruction in love for our good. Look at all that the man learned because God in love used it as discipline. This isn't to say that it's it's easy or that suffering is good, but that God in love uses it for good. In in 10,000 years, we will still see God's wisdom and love, even in what we might be prone to say is, is cruel. So, brothers and sisters, we should not interpret every hardship as punishment, as retribution for some sin in our life. And this is first and foremost because God no longer punishes us. If you are in Christ, all the punishment you deserved 
fell on your substitute at the cross. Jesus bore the punishment that your sins deserve. So that in Christ you can only receive his love. There is none left for you. It says, Paul writes, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's been exhausted at the cross. But, though not punishment, your hardship is his discipline. We don't have a word from God like the man in John 9. But like the best coach, doctor, or or teacher, he corrects us. He disciplines us. He works all things together for our good. But sadly, this is, this is only the first of many ways that we might despise his discipline. The second way that we can despise God's discipline, we, we defend ourselves. We defend ourselves. Instead of receiving correction, instead of welcoming it, we ignore it or even reject it. When hardships come like we just thought about, rather than seeking to learn from them, we blame others. When others point out in love our sin, we explain why it wasn't sin or why we were justified to act in that way. So all of this defensiveness prevents us from receiving the correction that, that we need and is, it is the height of folly. Listen to how the rest of the book of Proverbs encourages us to receive correction. Proverbs 8.33, hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 15.32, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Friends, reproof can be hard, but love wisdom by loving and receiving discipline. From whomever or wherever discipline comes, don't defend yourself. Leave your defense to God. Instead, humble yourself and learn. Frankly, when when you think about it, as a Christian, you have have nothing to hide. You have no reason to defend yourself. Listen to how one author explains how the cross opens us up to receive correction. He writes, If I wanted others to think highly of me, I would need to conceal the fact that the shameful slaughter of the perfect Son of God was required that I might be saved. But when I stand at the foot of the cross and am seen by others under the light of that cross, I am left uncomfortably exposed before their eyes. Indeed, the most humiliating gossip that could ever be whispered about me is blared at Golgotha's hill, and my self-righteous reputation is left in ruins in the wake of its revelations. With the worst facts about me thus exposed to the view of others, I find myself feeling that I truly have nothing left to hide. Stafford Baptist, in the community of the church, you have nothing left to hide. We all stand next to the cross that blares the worst facts about us for all to hear. We are all so evil that it took the slaughter of the sinless Son of God 
to save us. What more could be said about you? So, brothers and sisters, don't despise God's love by defending yourself. Receive God's love at the cross in discipline, however it comes. Finally, there is an opposite side to our tendency to defend ourselves. Our our third way of despising God's discipline, we stay silent. We stay silent. The fact is, discipline is not just hard to receive, it is frankly hard to give. We don't know how it will be received. We don't know how and, and when to say it. We stay silent because we're afraid of the consequences. What might it do for our reputation or our relationship? You might say that this, this fear is, is the fear of man. It's concerned more about what others will think of me or for my own comfort rather than what is good for others. But again, think of the child standing with fork in hand at the outlet. Love requires action. Let me share a true story I came across to illustrate why it is loving for us to speak up. Why is it loving for us to speak up? An author writes, As I sat with my family at a local breakfast establishment, I noticed a finely dressed man at an adjacent table. His Armani suit and stiffly pressed shirt coordinated perfectly with a power tie. His wingtip shoes sparkled from a recent shine. His hair was in perfect place, including his perfectly groomed mustache. The man sat alone eating a bagel as he prepared for a meeting. As he reviewed the papers before him, he appeared nervous, glancing frequently at his Rolex watch. It was obvious that he had an important meeting ahead. Well, the man stood up, and I watched as he strained his tie and prepared to leave. Immediately, I noticed... A blob of cream cheese attached to his finely groomed mustache. He was about to go out into the world dressed in his finest with cream cheese on his face. I thought of the business meeting he was about to attend. Who would tell him? Should I? What if no one did? Well, brothers and sisters, what would, what would you do? Would you get up, run after the man and, and tell him? Or better, think, what if you were that man? What would you want others to do for you? You would want someone to say something. Jesus summarizes the law in in the golden rule. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also for them. So in love, speak up. As you would want others to to run after you and, and tell you about the cream cheese on your face, will do also for others. It's a silly illustration, but so true. Brothers and sisters, do not despise God's discipline by considering it to be cruel, by defending ourselves, or by staying silent when others have cream cheese on their face. Instead of despising His discipline, we are to receive it and to share His discipline with one another in in love. Jesus taught us in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Why is this a new commandment? Haven't we always been to love one another? Well, the newness is in who we model. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We are called, brothers and sisters in the church, to love one another just as Jesus loves us. 
So church, I want to conclude with our third point this morning. Three ways we should imitate God's love. Three ways we should imitate God's love. And I told you I'd return to it. First, parents, discipline your children. Parents, discipline your children. One of the primary ways children receive the Lord's discipline is through their parents. Listen to the command of Ephesians 6, verse 4. Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, parents, especially fathers, your job is to bring up your children not in your discipline, but in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And not just through correction, but through comprehensive teaching. This means that you are responsible for teaching your children the whole counsel of God. Instruction in right living according to Him. Instruction in the gospel. How it is that we as sinners can be made right with the Holy God. And again, let me remind you, fathers, God's discipline is anything that He gives to us to grow in holiness. Prayer, His Word, relationships. And yes, the church, too. The church is to be a great help in in teaching our children. But it is just a help. The responsibility given by God is for parents. So parents among us imitate God's love by disciplining your children. The second way we should imitate God's love this morning seen in Proverbs chapter 3. Christians correct others. Christians correct others. We've already seen that that we cannot keep silent. But positively, Christians, the call to imitate God's love is a call to correct others in love. As He disciplines in love, so we too are also. It's simply a command in the mouth of Jesus. He tells us in Luke 17, verse 3, if your brother sins, be silent. No, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Jesus commands Christians, correct others. Jesus here is not speaking to a select group, but every brother, every Christian is called to love, and therefore every Christian is called to correct others in love. But, as we acknowledged earlier, it can be fraught with danger, so let me outline six keys to Christian correction. Six quick keys to Christian correction. First, pray. First, pray. We're to pray always and for everything, so this goes without saying. But how much more in these sensitive matters? Pray that God would give you love and wisdom as you attempt to correct others. First, pray. Second, remove the log. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, Jesus assumes that, that his disciples will work to remove specks. He says specks in these eyes, these moral failings or inconsistencies of, of actions that, that others can't see in their own lives. It's, it's their cream cheese on their mustache. But what does he say first? Well, when we go to take the speck out of the brother's eye, Jesus teaches first we must remove the log from our own. That means we're to, to humble ourselves. We're to deal with our own selves first before dealing with others. We correct as people who first need correction, remove the log. Third, ask clarifying questions. Don't jump to conclusions. 
hear their explanation first. It could all be a misunderstanding. So ask questions. Fourth, use scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that, that the word of God is profitable for what? Correcting and training. Don't correct using your own standards and preferences. I don't like the way you did this. But what is clearly taught in scripture, our authority to correct in love comes from God's word. It is our only sufficient rule for faith and practice. So fourth, use scripture. Fifth, be honest, gentle, and patient. Don't skirt the issue. Say what you have to say. But do so with gentleness. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 commands us. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Be gentle. And be patient. Remember, it's, it's hard to receive correction. Give time. Be honest. Be gentle. And patient. Sixth, finally, again, pray. Again, pray always and for everything. Pray that God would use your words to help and encourage your brother or sister. Pray that they would receive it as God's love, as well as your love. And pray that they would repent. The goal is restoration. God must do the work. So pray, remove the log, ask clarifying questions, use scripture, be honest and gentle and patient, and pray, and brothers and sisters, wrap it up all in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says it simply, Let all that you do be done in love. I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Let me read it to you. What should mark our love? In verses 4 through 17, Paul writes, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It is not God's envy or anger that disciplines. God's love disciplines. And so it must be ours as well. Discipline in love. And the third and final way the church is called to imitate God's love is church discipline the unrepentant. Church discipline the unrepentant. There is a great question lingering over all of this. What happens when God's discipline is rejected? And not just for a time. Remember, we're to be patient. But when a professing Christian becomes unteachable, there is outward, serious, unrepentant sin in their lives, in need of correction, but they will not receive correction. What does love demand? Well, Jesus' direction for church discipline in Matthew 18 is what love looks like for an unrepentant brother. If, when corrected, they will not listen, love means warning them the way Jesus directed, to call them to repentance, to work for their restoration. The pastor, John MacArthur, explains church discipline this way. He says, discipline, properly administered, is always motivated by love. The goal of church discipline is not to throw people out, to shun them, embarrass them, 
play God, be self-righteous, or exercise authority in abusive manner. The purpose of discipline is to bring people back into a right relationship with God and the rest of the body. Proper discipline is never administered as retaliation for someone's sin. Restoration, not retribution, is always the goal. Restoration is always the goal. You know, some object to church discipline because it it seems unloving. Well, if, if that's you, I'd recommend you picking up the booklet we pointed out earlier. Is it loving to practice church discipline? It's literally written in just a few pages to answer that question exactly. And we have copies to give away in the foyer for for every family. We must define our love as God defines love. God is love. Church, there is nothing more loving than calling our brothers and sisters to repent, to be restored to a right relationship with God and the rest of his body. Far better than the best coach, doctor, or teacher. Our God trains, corrects, and disciplines us perfectly in love that we might grow in holiness. With our children, with one another, with the unrepentant, we are to love like God loves with discipline for our good. The church is to deal with sin because God is love. And in love, he disciplines us for our good. Let's pray. Father, this morning we rejoice in your great love that we can call you Father because of your love. Lord, that that when we were still your enemies, Christ died for us. Lord, that your love has been shown chiefly in dying for our sins. But Lord, you in your love continue to love us by training us, by correcting us, that we might share in your holiness. Father, I pray that you would give us grace not to despise your discipline. Lord, that we would be humble to receive it and loving as we give it to image your love. And Father, we pray that in your love you would continue to cause us to grow, that we as your body would receive your discipline. For the glory of Christ, we pray all this. Amen.